Hello there. Welcome back to the Senate podcast. We have a jam-packed episode today, a quality episode, because I brought on a professional. Today, uh, I'm joined by Jake James. Hey. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said it right this time. Jake yeah, James. Yeah, you said it right. Yeah, you okay. Did. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, I found I actually found your Twitter and, and you through Star Wars related content. So I think it's only right we talk about Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's awesome is you're actually, uh, you can explain it better than I can, but I've been reading reviews from you. I've been watching your uh, shorts uh, movie reviews on Twitter and, and whatnot. So I love what you do with the reviews and writing and, and everything that you do because it that's kind of what I wanted to do a long time ago. I wanted to be a writer. And I wrote a little bit. I don't know if you remember, uh, what was it called? Uh, Blogger? I, uh, I remember Blogger, but I never used it. I, I would I would write, I would just write for fun about games. And yeah. I wanted to get into it. And then eventually that led to broadcast journalism. And then that led to uh, YouTube and podcasts and whatnot. But I love, what you, I love how you do it. The movie yeah. reviews and the, and the writing. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you do. And then we'll... I'll ask you about kind of your history and whatnot, but you're you're on a few different sites. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a lot of places. I'm, you I'm are. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I do a lot in general. Like it's not just because you you've said you saw me from my movie reviews, which is like yes, you know, a lot of stuff that I put on TikTok, a lot of stuff that I put sometimes on Shorts or Twitter, mostly or Instagram. Uh, but really, my bread and butter is really gaming and and gaming content, gaming reviews as a critic, as a reviewer, as a writer. Uh, I'm going now on 14 years that I've been doing stuff as of coming up in January, where I've been doing this as a freelancer professionally, uh, constantly just talking about games, reviewing games, giving my opinions about games. And then that also goes parallel or hand in hand with movies and everything else that comes along with it. A lot of entertainment stuff, a lot of geek related, nerd related culture stuff. Um, a lot of my stuff that I came from, you know, where I took a lot of inspiration for, especially when applying it to video games, was me watching movie reviews and movie crit criticism. You know, Siskel and Ebert, that's really where a lot of critics like myself really kind of get our basis and we get a lot of inspiration from. Because those are Siskel and Ebert, Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert. Those yep. are the two original archetypes for critics in many different ways. Any type of criticism that you see, whether it's games, movies, comics, music, uh, food, whatever else you could think of. It has a basis in Siskel and Ebert in some way because of their passion, the way that they approach the mediums, you know, in their case, movies, how they love that stuff. And they love to talk about it, which is bleeds out and kind of like diffuses into every sort of like content we see now in places like YouTube, TikTok, uh, Twitter, wherever else on social media. For me, I've been talking about games for so long. It's because I love it so much. I grew up a gamer. I grew up with as, as a Sega kid specifically. First video game okay. I ever played was Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Genesis. And fun fact, which is crazy because I tell everybody this and they don't believe me. I was born the same year that the Sega Genesis was made in Japan. And it came here to the States a year later. Yeah. You know? So I Sega and gaming in general is like really tied together with me in a very intimate way uh, that has stuck with me for years. And it's kind of, again, allowed me to get into other avenues of entertainment, more specifically movies. And obviously, like you mentioned before, Star Wars, you know, which is a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, it's just stuff that I love. It's stuff that I have fun with. And I continue making stuff even now to this day across all platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or X or what we're calling it now, Patreon, you know, Facebook, Twitch for a time, not so much Twitch anymore because of like how weird it is with the discovery, but really YouTube, TikTok, and everywhere else, my writing 
for various websites is where my bases are at. I write for Clownfish TV. I write for Dot Esports now. I've written for The Coalition. I've written for Playboy. I've written for IGN. I've written for Red Bull Gaming. You know, there's a lot of places where you could find my name, you know, tied to either gaming or movie stuff that I know a lot of people, people that listen to this and everybody else that stumbles upon me would really enjoy and really get a kick out of. It's funny. I think after you said all that, you described my podcast perfectly because it's it involves all of that, especially Star Wars, because that's really a central IP in pop culture that yeah. spans gaming, movies, comics, novels, everywhere. you name it, merchandise with toys and ev it's everywhere. Um, and and. You mentioned Sonic, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. I love Sonic. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm an OG Sonic fan. So for me, me too, the original yeah. saga on Genesis, because again, I owned them throughout the years growing up with yeah. it. But that's my that's my Sonic right there. Like a lot of people love the 3D Sonic games, and I get it. I don't like them as much. I don't think they've aged as well, which is why a lot of people have a lot of fond memories of 2D Sonic. But it's part of the franchise's legacy. It's part of the history of that character. It's just again. I'm a Sonic 3 guy. Sonic 3 to me is the greatest Sonic game ever made. It's it's literally, you know, it's got so much like goodness embedded in its DNA. This is going to derail everything, but Sonic 3 is the best Sonic game. I I see why people would say the adventures are. I love the adventure games, but as time goes on, they get harder to play. But Sonic 3 and Knuckles it doesn't. It stays Sonic, the same. I like Sonic and Knuckles. Like, I, I get it because people look at that as one whole game. Well, for those games, I look yeah. at it as two separate yeah. ones, but, you know, for obvious reasons. They were released separately, they were split apart and stuff. But for me, Sonic 3 is like a package. The reason why I love it so much is because not only is the gameplay like peak Sonic for a lot of reasons, it really but is. Also yeah. The presentation with it. That was the first game that not only had a soundtrack made by a major person of pop culture, we know it's Michael Jackson, yeah. but also. It was the first game to have save states in the series. It was the first game to have transitions between acts, which is a big deal. It was the first that time. That was huge. You know, we had we had an antagonist character that was like Sonic and Tails, you know, with Dr. Robot working with Dr. Robotnik. You know, a lot of people would say like Sonic CD because of Metal Sonic like that, but I was like, no, I think it's Knuckles really is the one that really has a foundation with that. But the storytelling. Yeah, yeah, the it, story it it it's a top it's top notch for a 2D Sonic game. I don't think yeah. they've really done story as well as they did in Sonic 3 up until Mania, of course. Um, yeah. Because when you see 2D, it's like, oh, it's classic Sonic. It's time for platforming. But I loved, this, the pre like you said, the presentation of the story and the antagonist and whatnot. But it's okay, that's, that's it for Sonic. <laughs> it definitely is. So what um, you kind of you talked about it a little bit. Star Wars uh, mm -hmm. kind of got you into the um, pop culture zeitgeist that that really exploded due to Star Wars, and then uh, in with the original trilogy, and then we get the prequel trilogy, and you see that there's a lot of people not necessarily copying it, but from there we get the blockbusters that start coming out, like uh, the Marvel movies and the DC movies. But really, you can trace it all back to George. I think your history with Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Original trilogy, prequel trilogy, sequel well, trilogy. Me, Where do you I'm, lean? I'm probably one of the last, like the very edge of the generational gap that grew up with the original trilogy because yeah. there's a couple things that come with that. I was born in 88. Okay. That is why I was saying earlier before, like I was born yeah. in the year that the Genesis was made in Japan. It came to the States in 89. But what was a big deal for me with Star Wars is that I grew up watching the original trilogy on VHS. And what makes my year so significant and, and 
relation to Star Wars is because Return of the Jedi came out in 84. That was the last Star Wars movie that people had for a very long time. That was, again, we thought that was it. Like, and they, for a good long while, they didn't do the prequels that people, despite them wanting them. But that was the generation from that point onward that just watched that original trilogy over and over again on VHS after yeah. it had its initial theatrical run. And then leading into the late 90s, when we started getting the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, my Star Wars in theaters was the prequels. But I was still an original trilogy fan because I had seen so much of that. Uh, that series of those movies, you know, growing up again, when you grow up with a particular type of franchise, you're a little bit different than the, the, the young kids that are watching it in theaters and stuff, you know, especially if you have the opportunity to watch it over and over and over. Again. Yes. You know, I it's can relate. Not the same, yeah. It's not the same as the ones that grew up with them in theaters. That's a very different thing. And I still think there's a lot of parallels that I have, at least my generation has with that generation, but they have Star Wars and an experience with it that's very different than anybody else because they've been there since day one. My parents were there in 77 watching the original Star Wars movie on premiere, you know, and my brother, yeah. my brother has a 10-year gap over me, my older brother, he had all the original Star Wars Kenner toys from Empire and Jedi like that. New Hope, obviously, you know, people had them here and there, but really Empire and Jedi, Empire Strikes Backline and Return of the Jedi, the original Power of the Force collection set, that was all him. He had all those toys. I broke them as a little kid, most of them, and I look back on it with like you know such disdain for myself. But it's something that it, there's a there's a parallel there between generations before you get to the prequel kids, which are all the ones that grew up watching Phantom Menace onward, and then later on, obviously the sequels. But I consider myself an original trilogy guy, despite you know Star Wars prequels being the ones in theaters for me. So the reason I'm asking is you can tell a lot about a person by the trilogy they grew up watching and there's a lot of contention around uh in the star wars fandom and just with you know anybody who's uh even uh not a really a hardcore fan but kind of just you know oh i like star wars well what what do you mean by that because there are parallels but there's a lot of contention between the the trilogies so <laughs> I, I completely relate to you. I actually, I was born in 98. So I grew up with the prequels. Yeah. However, in between uh, movie releases, I would watch the original trilogy on VHS. So I have fond memories of the VHS original trilogies. And I actually like the VHS more than the uh, special editions. I'm not a, the biggest fan of the special editions. Uh, we can get into that. But anyways... Yeah. I remember uh, watching Revenge of the Sith in theaters, and I grew up loving just George's saga. Um, and then the sequels came, and I mean, I enjoy them, but that's that's another that's another discussion. But what's funny is my co-host he grew he he didn't grow up with Star Wars, and his first experience were the sequels. And then after the sequels, he went back. So me and him have different views, and I. I we can still find parallels like you were saying between the trilogies and mm -hmm. now with uh seeing seeing your writing and seeing some of your tweets and, and your takes you we um we kind of have some parallels and i like i like what you what you say on twitter and what you write because it it's kind of uh what's they say based but it's kind of like not contentious you're not trying to stir unfair. up i think that's fair. the way i describe it like because exactly I, but between me being a critic and and looking at entertainment with like a very critical eye and stuff i always try to be fair 
because I think that all types of media, all types of entertainment should be criticized in various different ways. Let's be honest. The original trilogy is not perfect. I mean, we know those people out there that love the OT, who even love the prequels so much, and, oh, such and such movie is perfect and stuff. No, obviously not. We have to be mature adults at some point and be like, look, like these movies were made within a vacuum of a time frame that they only had so much to work with with their technology, and for the most part, they were successful with it. You can even say the same thing with the prequels because they were the first movies to really use an all-CG character, let alone an all-CG world in some cases. Like, there's pros and cons to each thing. But more than anything else, you could say whatever you want about a piece of media as long as you're fair, whether it's positive or negative. And I feel like a lot of people, whether the people giving the criticism or the people that are just listening to it, sometimes tend to steer away from that. They don't really understand it fully. I agree. And I love love that you're fair about it because I see you get pushback for Mm -hmm. it. And I guess that's just part of uh, putting out your, <laughs> yeah, it's part, part of putting out your reviews and just your your own opinions out there. And but it's fun to do. And uh, you know, I found you through Star Wars related related content, and it's just so sad how contentious it is between everybody. It really yeah. is. And yeah, it funny really enough, is. it's it's in ways that you don't expect. Sometimes, like here's the thing. I think, you know, everybody talks about like what type of like, you know, perspective, opinion or word has more weight than the other. I think that if you've been there watching this stuff, especially if you've been there for like 40 plus years watching this stuff, I think that your word and your outlook on something is probably going to have a little bit more weight than someone who just got into it. Yeah. You know, and I think that with that comes a lot of pros and cons, a lot of pushback and, and pullback, you know, for a lot of different reasons. You know, I think that the most fair, the most honest, and the most genuine and 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 just like, you know, even-handed opinions are the ones that are going to stand out the most. Like, this this was a big thing. You want to talk about pushback? I got a lot of pushback for my views on Andor, you know, as someone that had been there, not only watching these episodes 3 a.m. every single week, which I think for a lot of people, a lot of people did not do that. You know, there, there was a, a good amount of people within Star Wars fandom that did, but the good amount of people that were talking about this were not doing it the same way that I was. And I was hyped for Andor, but the problem with Andor is that no matter how much of the good writing and the good kind of like, you know, characters and the dialogue you can have with something, if something feels like it doesn't fit within the universe that it's trying to be a part of, none of that other stuff really matters or none of that stuff goes without being affected by it. And that was a lot of the main points that I was putting out there for some people. And what sucks is that you get a lot of uh, individuals, especially in film criticism and entertainment criticism, or just making content as content creators in all these different facets, they have this holier than thou attitude or this like snobbish, like, you know, snub their nose towards you attitude because you disagree with them. And that's never a good place to come from. Like, even fandom, like a lot of fandom, especially Star Wars fans, get hit with a lot of like blame for a lot of the discourse that happens in this stuff. And I don't think that's necessarily fair or right. Because most of the time, the greater majority of fandom, even in the Star Wars fandom, a lot of them are not coming from a place of like, uh, was it volatility or volatility? (laughs) Oh my God. Or they're not trying to be hostile with their opinions and they want people to get into Star Wars. They want people to talk about it. They're not always the ones looking for a fight though, which I think is crazy. It's it's a lot of people taking umbrage with uh, criticism or just difference of opinion, which, you know. They can have that, but I like seeing uh, discourse and I like seeing people talk more so about what they can get out of a product. So I actually, I see that you're also fans of, uh, you're a fan of the guys from Last Stand Media. Yeah. And 
Colin, Colin. Colin is my biggest. Uh, he's one of my biggest yeah. uh, inspirations. He's also I look at him a little bit as a mentor because I've I've had a chance, you know, in the past years ago, to talk with him a little bit more like away from the camera. So I, I learned a lot from him, you know, watching his stuff over the years. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, definitely. I actually met him a few years ago and had a nice, very nice conversation with him, just about how he's, you know, his his discourse. He doesn't he doesn't cater it. He's just truly puts out his own his opinion. He says you know, what it is. It says what it is. So, anyways, Lord Cog, I, I love his approach. You know, he's newer to the to the family, but his his approach is, you know, I'm going to look at your last five tweets and I'm going to see if it's negative or if it's positive you're like i want to see what your uh how your criticism is if it's just tearing it down or if it's trying to build it up you know what i mean so the way i look at it is i try to do majority you know eight out of ten nine out of ten of my takes or opinions are just positive even if it's criticism it's just a little bit more positive and not so negative you know what i mean because that could turn people away but like you said a lot of people and really love and get attached to star wars and and in games or whatever it is and they just want other people to experience the same yeah they want other people to enjoy what they're enjoying so i think you i know think you're is, right yeah you know what it is it's to, to to bounce off of that with with cogs outlook and that's even going on now with starfield because I, I just listened to the oh, we're getting into that that they did yeah. not too long ago with him we're and getting Maddie. into it but really it all comes down to delivery a lot of stuff like i don't even think necessarily it needs to come down to the amount of tweets of positive or negative like numbers wise i think it all comes down to the delivery of each of these things it's true like yeah. i think that you could criticize and say something highly negative about something as long as you deliver it from a place of like you know not only trying to give something to those that are looking at it but also not trying to jab at other people i think that's a huge that's a massive problem in media right now especially in the games industry where a lot of takes that are put out there that get viral or get passed around and stuff are usually originally coming from a place of trying to get under somebody's skin and that's a huge problem because that's that is never a good way to start a conversation let alone keep a conversation going you know you see it with starfield you see it with star wars especially now with ahsoka with, with ahsoka i've been enjoying ahsoka and i've like acknowledged a lot of the stuff that it's not doing well in the first few episodes but come episode four everybody was having a good time this was a reaction i haven't seen since the ending of mandalorian season two you know i didn't get the same type of reaction from andor from season three of of uh mandalorian book of boba fett you know obi-wan kenobi Obi even kenobi. kenobi you know even kenobi i didn't get the, i didn't see this type of reaction and like vibe from the star wars community and everybody else in entertainment but you've got just got some of these people out here that are just trying to downplay that or they're trying to downplay stuff like without they're criticizing just to criticize the bb outlier as opposed to yeah. being like okay honest with like yo this episode here of ahsoka got everybody talking about star wars not a perfect episode you could even criticize the way that hayden christensen looks but let's be real it was trending on twitter for a long time for a reason and it's like you know, again, be be mindful of your criticism. I mean, say what you got to say and stuff, but don't but don't go trying to be a jerk to everybody. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think who who is it right now? Is it Ryan McCaffrey that's facing that with Starfield? No, who that's is Dan that? Stapleton. Dan Stapleton is the Dan Stapleton. reviews okay. editor. Funny enough, I did a review for him for IGN years ago for Naruto, Naruto. Ultimate Ultimate yeah. Ultimate Four, and yeah. the problem that he's facing. It's not so much what he said. I think that a lot of people tend to dogpile on IGN unfairly often. And I could say that as someone who's written for IGN, not just yeah. reviews, but I've written guides for IGN. I know their processes. I know how intimately their 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 whole like workflow is when it comes to making content. So often 
major majority of the time, they're treated very unfairly by a lot of people for being the largest outlet. The problem with this review, though, on Starfield specifically, is because, number one, a lot of the stuff that Dan was saying within his review and in those spaces afterwards that people were listening to, that IGN hosted, they hosted at Twitter spaces, a lot of people were hearing things that felt like he wasn't doing due diligence to the game itself, that felt off and felt like it was inconsistent with what he was actually trying to say about the game. Number two, and it's not even has anything to do with Dan, there was the Stella, uh, was it Parallax Stella or Stella that works over at IGN? Uh, she's a producer. She actually made a statement about the game prior to its release without even playing it. And I think people are more pissed off about that and more pissed off about yeah. just the genuine yeah. vibe that how they presented their views and their perspective as opposed to what they wanted was to be fair. A lot of people wanted them to praise it, which you can't just praise something like that, you know, as big of a game as, uh, what is it, Starfield is. But they're really kind of upset about a lot of different things at the same time. And it's like all compounding together into one big mess. I think, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with, like you said, at the, towards the end there, people saying, I don't have to finish the game to, or beat the game. No, to she didn't even play it. This, what, yeah, when she commented, not she even, did this whole yeah, essay. Picking up the controller. She did this whole essay prior to the game coming up, before the NDAs were up, giving an opinion about games. Like, she was trying to say, like, her perspective from looking at the game, but I just thought it was very ill times. Like, you know, it, it's one thing to have an opinion, but don't go out, if you're part of the biggest outlet of, you know, out here in the industry, don't go give an opinion about a highly anticipated game if you have not played it, and especially right before when you know everybody's on edge. Like it's just just poor judgment there, in my opinion. And in, in it's a different when it's IGN, the biggest outlet. Mm -hmm. Just as an example, I don't I don't do a fraction of the, the views that they do, but I saw people talking about Redfall on Twitter, and yeah. I was vaguely interested in that game, I, but I, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't. So I didn't want to talk about it too much without even playing it, and and I don't even get the traction they do. So I actually played it until I couldn't take it anymore. Before I started really giving my opinions on it, you have to you know see what, I mean. what happened to me with that game. Like I shared it on Twitter when I was actually playing it before I published my review. I was getting T posed characters that were duplicated in the game somehow. It was it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. The the, the premise sounds great. I mean. Almost like a Left for Dead type of, or exactly. Back for Blood, exactly but with vampires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great premise, but it, it felt, the delivery, like we said, delivery wasn't there. So, let's dial in a little bit, because you talked a little bit about Ahsoka and or Kenobi and whatnot. And I, I listened to your latest, because you do a podcast, and it's yep. what is, JJ's One... It's called JJ's One Man Podcast. It's me basically monologuing. Okay talking about certain topics I feel like I got, I want to speak on. So I yeah. try to do it weekly, you know, when I can, but sometimes either there's not enough to talk about, or again, I'm so busy doing other content at the same time. Cause again, I do it all alone. <laughs> yeah. So you, your latest one was about Ahsoka and I want to dial in on Ahsoka a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I try to make my content evergreen, you know, cause I don't want to end up, I don't want to have to do this we the same topic weekly yeah you know i if it's evergreen okay it's been a few months maybe since i talked about this topic but it's still relevant mm -hmm. so here's the thing about ahsoka uh the contention around it you you mentioned it's sort of because people are jaded by lucasfilm uh even though dave filoni is doing an outstanding job yeah people are still jaded because of past projects exactly like we were talking about Andor and whatnot. So real quick before we jump into 
the latest, you know, episode of Ahsoka, mm -hmm. the past projects, Disney Plus projects, there's some issues with it. Yeah. You know, Mandalorian season one and two were actually amazing. There's, you know, you could, um, you could have a lot of different takes on why they succeeded or why they, why they didn't, but they were a success in some capacity. Yeah. Then we get Book of Boba Fett. The zeitgeist wasn't there for that. Okay, it's, you know, Boba Fett's a very popular character within Star Wars. However, the series kind of fell flat. Then you go on to Andor and Kenobi. So I'm not sure your views mm -hmm. on, on these series, but out of all of these, I actually like Andor the most. Mm -hmm. However, I don't, like you said, I don't think it fits into Star Wars as well. So can you just what what's your take on why people are jaded in the first place because is it because these series are falling flat they're disney's just not doing a good job or lucasfilm i should say they're not handling these characters these properties uh correctly or is it because dave filoni isn't now you know what i mean is it was it better back then was was mandalorian mm -hmm. season 1 and 2 the pinnacle or are we headed in the right direction or are we headed the wrong direction is well, and or you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah like th there's a number of things with that 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 yes. we should definitely tackle number one back then okay because keep in mind mandalorian came about after the fallout of the sequel trilogy so people were already feeling a type of way this the was contrast after the rise yeah. of skywalker i believe yeah it was like sometime after the rise of skywalker yes the first real project we got wasn't even a movie it was the series which was mando season one like that now a lot of people don't seem to realize or they seem to forget often is that John Favreau and Dave Filoni had a big hand in The Mandalorian season one and season two. Okay. Yes. There's a lot of reasons why certain things happened in those seasons of why they turned out the way they did is because of especially Dave Filoni being there, but also John Favreau. Now, when you start getting into the other series, okay, you start to see a lot of things change and, and the reception of them change heavily is because there was a lot of other meddling behind the scenes that has been documented, has been talked about. There's a lot of conflict that we still don't have the full story about, especially between John Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy. There's a lot of things going on, especially with season three of Mandalorian, the book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was a mess, you know, and then leading into what we got now with Ahsoka and even Andor. The, the, my main thing with Andor is like, like I said before, I alluded to it. Andor is not like poorly constructed. The problem is, is that it's constructed in a way that it's trying not to be a Star Wars show, or at least yes. trying not to fit within the Star Wars galaxy or the universe. And for me as a fan, that's a problem. I understand that a lot of people over the place have been praising that show for being the best Disney Star Wars thing since Rogue One, which I heavily disagree with. I don't think that's a fair assessment at all. I get why people like it, but also I totally understand because I was watching this with watch parties. I was in Star Wars Theory's watch party for a lot of those episodes, and I saw other watch parties, you know, the reactions, just to kind of gauge yes. where everybody was at. And the problem that I had with all this is that Star Wars fans that have been in this universe for a long time already, that have actually seen a lot of what this universe is or what it could be, 
recognize that this was trying to be Star Wars in name only without trying to be part or be as Star Wars, which is a shame because, you know, I was hyped up for Andor. I was ready to watch this. I was like, yo, this is going to be an awesome spy thriller. It's going to be Andor. It's going to get dark. He's going to do some crazy stuff because they, they're the rebellion's desperate and all stuff. And I did not get that. I felt it was a bore fest. I felt that despite the clever writing and the clever dialogue and the monologue by Skarsgård that he delivers in there, it's awesome. But all of that is overshadowed for me because this thing just does not feel like a Star Wars project. Rogue One, which really is what Andor was trying to be, you know, felt like a Star Wars project. Granted, you had other elements that were more traditional Star Wars that were in there. But the problem was, uh, what really goes back to the heart of is that Lucasfilm is so like disjointed with what exactly they want to yeah. do and what direction they want to go, that it's affected everything they've been involved with. Even the good things with, with Andor, they gave it to a guy that forgot he was making a Star Wars project. Like, why would you say that? Why would you go out publicly and say that? Here's the other thing too, with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, there was a lot of stuff that people had, you know, with the writer's room and some of the stuff that made it to the screen and stuff that would not be acceptable in any other Star Wars project. You mean to tell me that you could slap stormtrooper helmets with your hand, with your bare hand? Like, come on. Like, there's just certain things that's like, okay, we, we, we need to sit down and have a conversation with this. Like, that should have never gone past the scripting phase. It would have never been a big deal if the, the character, I forgot her name at the moment, but if she would have shot the stormtroopers with a blaster, not smack them with an open hand. It's like, there's just certain things that when Star Wars fans react to that negatively and stuff, it created that whole discourse and stuff. And the other, this is what I think is the biggest problem too. Because while there are good stuff in all these different shows, there's good elements, there's good moments, even in the ones that I dislike. The problem with this, though, is that sometimes Lucasfilm does themselves no favors when they get part of the discourse or they allow the discourse to fan it in a way that it ends up being. A lot of the time, especially post-sequel trilogy, was the discourse that was going on about those films that was bleeding out into everything else, and Lucasfilm was feeding into it. You know, why would you have Ryan Johnson come out in, in, in a picture with a, with a mug that says Luke fanboy tears. Like who does that? George would never do something like that. Would never allow something like that to happen. I don't think Disney was okay with that, but no, it happens. Somebody had to be okay with that. I'm pretty sure we all know who it is. But the other thing about that too, is that look, I don't think it's a fair thing for people that work at Lucasfilm. A lot of people that worked on these projects, like the actors and stuff to be so contentious with the fans. Like, look, we get it. You know, not everybody's going to agree. There's been a lot of bad actors out there. Not not actors like actors, but bad people that are disingenuous yeah, with social yeah. media, with their opinions, with their criticism and stuff. That type of stuff is not fair. A lot of stuff that Moses Ingram got with her involvement with Obi-Wan Kenobi was not fair. And a lot of that, I think the result of it was not her fault. So she should have never been treated the way she was. But there's still these issues that are lingering around that need to be addressed that I feel like Lucasfilm often does not do so. Whenever you get a good project, like from Dave Filoni and stuff with Ahsoka, or even in Rebels, or even in uh, the, the Tales of the Jedi series, Tales of the Jedi appear, uh, premiered on the same night, same day, by the way, as a new episode of Andor, which was the worst idea they could have did, because guess what? Everybody loved Tales of the Jedi. Then we went to go watch Andor. <laughs> like, Tales on. of the Jedi is, in my opinion, because you brought up, people are saying Andor is the greatest projects since rogue one to me i think it's tales of the jedi you could say visions i think both are yeah but I, the, the only reason why i don't count visions and stuff like that within that same convo is because remember yeah. visions is not canon like really yes. visions yeah. is an awesome love that project visions it's amazing amazing i would love yeah. for them to do a star wars infinities in that same vein to get to like the legend okay. stories we want to see like that yes. type of stuff would be cool but 
where we're talking is canon, like stuff that Disney now considers canon because they're the ones that kind of messed up the everything with the expanded universe. <laughs> but we're talking about just their canon stuff. I don't think Andor is the best thing. I think Andor is fine in its own little silo, which is what a lot yes. of people don't want to admit and they don't want to agree upon. But it's honestly the truth because Rogue One is does everything that Andor tries to be much better and still respects the legacy of Star Wars because it leads directly into A New Hope in many different ways. Like, it's just that, again, it gets back to the discourse where not only the delivery of a lot of opinions are is really poor, but also the company, like I said, doesn't do themselves any favors by allowing that to linger rather than actually trying to be a little bit much more, you know, mature and have a little bit more class with it. You never see Dave Filoni go on social media talking smack about the fans or talking smack about anything. You never see that from George Lucas. You never saw that with John Favreau like that. You never even saw that. I would even argue with Hayden Christensen or, or Rosario Dawson. Or any of the people that actually people love that's related to all this stuff. And I think that speaks volumes to not only what came from the sequels, but comes from a lot of the stuff that people are just not really feeling. Yeah. Even the Book of Boba Fett. Look at what happened with, with, with a lot of the actors there. Like, it, it really speaks volumes to stuff. That was, a yeah, everything with uh, Tamora Morrison, very unfortunate. Yeah. Super, I mean, that's extremely unfortunate. He deserves better. Because he's, 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 uh, he's one of those dudes from the prequels. Like, he deserves far better than what he got. And I... You know, so first of all, thank you for your expert analysis on that. You, you have been there uh, on the ground floor pretty much with all of this, yeah. at, you know, you. as your job. And um, I think that was great analysis. That I want to tackle a few things, though. Sure. I think it does come down to the lack of respect, not, not just for the characters, but for the real people involved in this. Because when you see the actors, they're their their job is to act there's yep. somebody directing them mm -hmm. there's somebody that wrote their lines for them most of the time you know what i mean so like with moses ingram that was that's unfortunate yeah uh like like we said with Tamar morrison that's just an unfortunate situation but it goes back to i think there's a deeper problem than what we see on screen there's like you were saying, it it falls back on we know who we know who it falls back. It's a systemic on, problem. It's the, really it, exactly systemic. The the real meaning of the word systemic problem. It is literally a systemic problem that they have. But there are some good projects coming out from them, and I think what is so interesting is that in contrast with Star Wars, I'm not sure how big of a Star Trek fan you are. Oh, I'm big. I'm a, I'm a TNG guy. I'm a big okay. team. I've watched, I'm a big star. I'm a giant Star Wars fan, but I I respect a lot of Star Trek because again, I grew I, up with TNG. <laughs> I feel the same way. I I grew up with Enterprise, and I yeah. love Enterprise. I think it's amazing. I love TNG as well, but I grew up with uh, Enterprise and, and the movies, of course. So in contrast, though, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. It is absolutely amazing, and they they respect the characters. You can watch the uh, the ready room where they actually talk about you know everything behind the scenes, and the, it's like when you see John Favreau and Dave Filoni or even Bryce Dallas Howard in the specials on Disney Plus. They really enjoy what they do and they want to respect and be in that world. They don't want to just take it and um, make it their own. Make make their make own it, thing. <laughs> make their own thing just with Star Wars as the name of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, like like a lot you see you see that a lot with Ryan Johnson the discourse around that saying that oh it's a great Ryan Johnson film yeah and it really shouldn't it should be a great Star Wars film first exactly and like that there was a lot with that one and again it, it gets into a lot of the sequel trilogy talk 
that's the movie really that as much as people like to like overlook it that's the one that really broke a lot of things for many people but it really comes back to a lot of stuff that was very there was a lot of poor decisions made i'm talking about on the administration level not just with the movie yeah. itself but like administration level where a lot of things were allowed to go on and allowed to happen that turned out the way that it did which is a shame because i don't think that a lot of the actors deserved a lot of stuff the one who has the most legit beef out of everyone in all of new star wars under disney is john boyega i think he he deserves he deserves a lot more than what he got and and he deserves a lot more better treatment than what he received and and he still respects the fans and the yeah. ip mm -hmm. throughout all of that which like he's is a which bigger is man amazing. than a lot of other people yes. give him credit for big time yes. <laughs> for what happened and I, I would and for that reason alone i would love to see him come back under a different leadership not just for redemption, but just because he loves the IP, he loves the fans. You know, you know you what the sad part it. about that is, though. Like, I don't think as much as I again, I like John Boyega. I'm I'm cool with Oscar Isaac. I'm even cool with Adam Driver, and even uh, Daisy Ridley to an extent. The problem is, is that that portion or that era of Star Wars has been so damaging for a lot of people and so dis distasteful for a lot of people. You can't do it. Without that coming yeah. back up. This is why Ryan Johnson was never going to get another trilogy. Like everybody kept talking about that. He kept talking about that for a long time. But business wise, even if you take away the fandom from it, there is no it's reason to go back to that. There is absolutely zero uh, benefit to doing that. Not just for him, but for the entire brand. Because if without the brand recognition, without the brand power, you don't have any of these projects whatsoever. And I think those three movies, and specifically his movie, did such a disservice to everything that just really put everything off course big time. Now we're and we're talking about the uh, fan reception and all of that, but really numbers drive everything. So you're right; there would be no incentive. For that to the whole conversation to be about uh, that movie would be about everything else, even though there would be some people that go see yes. it, but it would not be the same as like what was with the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens was such a big deal in a lot of different ways. It, it was, and it, it numbers drive everything. So it, it's hard because I get it. You want to take risks. You can't just put out the same thing every time. I get it. Now, like I said, in contrast with Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, they take risks all of the time. I don't want to spoil much of that show. It's it, Everyone should go watch it. If you're a fan of Star Wars, just watch Strange New Worlds. But they take risks and it pays off. And they, res they respect... Um, continuity. <laughs> they respect continuity, even though the continuity in Star Trek has been messed up many times yep. because of time travel and different, you know, different reasons. But they still respect the continuity of it. And it pays off and it has been paying off numbers wise for them too. And I, I was watching it and I said, I would love star Wars to take some of these risks. And it's funny because the biggest risk I think they've ever taken in star Wars was this week yep. during episode four of Ahsoka and, and, and did it yeah. well. <laughs> That's the key part. It paid it off. Well. Yes. <laughs> and I think, I think it, they did it well because there was somebody, uh, there was somebody behind the scenes, Dave Filoni. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I guarantee you 90% of the people watching don't know who Dave Filoni is. They will, they'll see a guy in a cowboy hat and just think it's another guy in a cowboy hat. They yeah, don't know he, that that's... He's legit right now the reason yes. for a long time why Disney Star Wars stuff or projects of those has been relevant. Like, he's as close as you get to George Lucas without George Lucas right now at this point. And, and what's nice is he is not copying George Lucas. He's actually taking um, what George Lucas did and continue continuing it not repeating it you know what i mean and 
I was watching episode four and, and you said this on the last podcast. It feels like a seven samurai movie. Yeah. Which is how Star Wars. What is it? What is it? Not a, oh my God. Um, oh my God. I forgot. The, I can't believe I forgot the director's uh, Kurosawa. It feels Kurosawa, like a Kurosawa yeah. movie. It does. And that's what Star, that's what George was inspired by. Partially that. And of course, um, Flash Thompson or um, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon. And sorry, I'm a big Spider-Man fan too, but um, Flash Gordon with the serial matinee style, but also kind of mixed with the Kurosawa filmmaking of it. Beautiful combo that somehow worked. Yeah. And Dave is continuing that now with his own type of lore that he introduced in Rebels, which is a world between worlds. Mm-hmm. This has fans confused um, that haven't paid attention to the cartoons and animated series like like rebels and and that, that and should whatnot. tell you something but, about a lot of those opinions a lot yes. of those people that didn't that weren't fans enough to go watch that stuff are confused it's been like well you know it's like watching missing out a movie in the middle of a trilogy like you, you don't know what happened here but you didn't do yeah. your homework i'm sorry like, yeah i can't believe anakin's force ghost showed up yeah that, that's a big that's a huge deal and, you know, <laughs> for the record that's that's bigger than his appearance in obi-wan kenobi and technically obi-wan kenobi is the more relevant show for him to be in but with this one obviously being ahsoka him being her master uh was it her his padawan and stuff it's it's a much more it's a bigger deal for rebels fans that are that have followed ahsoka because we know like big things are happening and it's and it was done tastefully in a way that was handled with such care because it wasn't just that that made the episode good this was a banger episode for like so many reasons and that was just like the mic drop moment for like dave to just like walk off stage afterwards so i want to talk about some of the banger moments so i kind of i was kind of uh i was kind of joking with the force ghost thing because it's it's doing it's star wars got into the mcu trope of oh it's the end of the episode let's kind of tease something yeah or it's the end of the series let's tease something oh you miss qui-gon Here's his Force Ghost for no apparent reason. Which, by the way, you know, it doesn't work with canon, but we'll, we'll let it slide because we get it, to see Liam Neeson. He wasn't able to be a Force Ghost. <laughs> exactly. But they – okay. So we, we understand that. Dave obviously understands that, and we can see it because it's not, a, it's not technically a Force Ghost of Anakin. It essentially is Anakin himself mm-hmm. just outside of our world, you know, the the Star Wars world. He's bending, He's bending within reason. <laughs> within reason, and it's paying off. So it was a banger episode. Yeah. I think um, – let's talk about Merrick because mm. your Merrick theory sucks. I don't know where that came from, oh, that, but that you actually, know the meme. That came from uh, – what is it? It's based off the Snoke theory sucks thing from, from yes, Jedi yeah. stuff. But the reason why that came from that is because a lot of people thought that Merrick was actually going to be uh, Galen Merrick, right, which is Starkiller from the Force Unleashed yes. games. But that turned out not to be the case. I'm so glad that wasn't the case. Um, the only theory I liked was it could have been Cal Kestis, but I'm just a huge Cal Kestis fan. I want Cal to go out like that. I know. It would have ruined it. But anyways, I'm glad they did it like that because that's another risk. When has Star Wars ever done anything like that? Well, um, well the, keep in mind, they've done a lot of animated. risk with The Mandalorian, technically. Like that, if you really look at it, as far yeah. as original characters, like characters that don't technically connect to other stuff, that's Din Djarin, and that's uh, a lot of other stuff that that comes from that series. So, um, the the was okay. I don't know if this is confirmed. Was that Knight's sister magic? Yeah. Uh, 
from my understanding, okay, because it's get the series itself doesn't do a good job of, of like explaining it, other than when you see the actual Night Sister in there that's working with uh, Ray Stevenson's character yeah. and Shinhati, right? Um, that she does magic, but from my understanding, that guy Merok was actually put together by Night Sister Magic, but it just hasn't been detailed fully. And again, that could change. That could not be the case because there's other Inquisitors that we've seen that happen to. I believe in Rebels at one point or the Clone Wars in a similar fashion, but not exactly like what happened to to Merrick here. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I, I'm, and that's what I'm saying. I hope that's the case because that is a risk for. Star Wars fans or for casual fans, this this looks like a person. And then you take your lightsaber through him and he just disappears. I'm not going to lie, though. Nice. It, would, it would have been sweet if it was Starkiller, though. I'm not going to lie. Because there's, <laughs> you know, you got to understand, like, the reason why that theory was so, like, passed around is because there was a lot of, like, you know, evidence that pointed to it. Because imagine having uh, Vader's apprentice versus Anakin's apprentice. There was like there was so much like metaphor and like so much like stuff set up for something like that. On top of him being a quizzer, uh freaking Sam Witwer talked about that he had a conversation with Dave Filoni about Starkiller being an inquisitor. Like there was just so many things that were matching up to that. His point. name was in the credits. His name was in the credits too. It's like you can't blame a lot of Star Wars fans for yeah. being like, yo, something's yeah. up. <laughs> and it Maybe he was the body double because it kind of looked like No, he him. did the voice. I'm pretty sure he did Merrick's voice. I would not be okay. surprised because it has him listed as additional voices, but we just don't know exactly what voice he did. Okay. I I like it. I like the risks that they're taking nonetheless, and I like specifically that they don't explain it. And you said they don't do a good job of explaining it, and you're right, and I like that because it mm. doesn't – it doesn't affect the pacing. They don't take time out of the action, especially specifically with this episode. Hmm. Yes, it's a series. You got to slow down to, you know, be able to fill like they in your episode right there, yeah. like in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. They might explain it at some point, which is fine, but they didn't stop the episode. Hmm. And this episode, the fighting, fantastic. Awesome. We see different styles. We see different. Um, I love the different lightsabers because yeah. we've never seen orange in live action before. Mm-hmm. This is a first. Or, well, an orange hue. Yeah, this is a first. And I love that they're not Sith. You, they could go either way. They're I think dark, it's going to be fun to see where Jedi. it goes. Like, yeah. like the thing is, is like yeah. Ray Stevens Balin, who's who Ray Steven R.I.P. Who's playing him now? He's awesome. Fantastic. Like, all, the, all his episodes, all his scenes, been awesome so far. But what I like about him and the white, reason why I call him a dark Jedi is because he still has some sort of element of a code where he actually has reason, he has, like, rationality behind what he's doing. Even though he what he's doing technically is not good, he still has some sort of, like, motivation that doesn't make him, like, a Sith. Because a Sith, if they were a true Sith, like, if that was Darth Maul, Darth Maul would be going to eradicate Ahsoka and really trying to bring down the Republic. Clearly, Balin and Shin have totally different stuff. They've just been really, really, like, put off by the Jedi Order. Clearly, it seems like. They just haven't, you know, detailed it yet, which might sound like it's going to be super interesting when they do. Well, the Jedi, we know the Jedi Order was flawed. It wasn't, yeah. if you, here's my, here's my issue. I think a lot of Star Wars fans don't understand this. If I can, if I can say that. Yeah. The Jedi were flawed. They were meant to be flawed. The Jedi Order was not good. It wasn't the, it wasn't it was good. It was a far extreme I mean, of good is what it, it was. It was a far extreme. They did many good things, but it was not the uh, standard for the force or good. They were very much flawed, uh, very much dogmatic, which there was truth to what Palpatine said. And if you if you look at the Jedi Order as they were the right ones, 
I think you're going to have a lot of issues with a lot of things in Star Wars because their dogmatic views kind of led to a lot of uh, people turning and like you see with Balin, like you saw with Anakin. This was a result of the dogmatic views, which is another reason I love Tales of the Jedi. We see this with Dooku in there. Yep. And that's one of my favorite things is when they really do almost character studies, which I hope they dive into Balin, RIP, because he was he's an amazing character. I hope they you know what's funny about show that? some of the backstory. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? Because I think that it is fair to look at the Jedi from their perspective as them being right. I think that when you look at yeah. everything like that, I think they are the right path or the right view in in the context of Star Wars as a universe. But okay. what I think what really makes them so flawed and what makes it fascinating for them to be flawed is that, again, it's yeah. such a far extreme where they're trying to be paragons for what they stand for. This is why Qui-Gon, yes. this is why Qui-Gon technically should yeah. have been on the console. He was the, he was the Jedi. He was supposed to be the father figure of Anakin. He would not, if he would, had lived and all this stuff had played out, none of this <laughs> other stuff would have happened. And I think that the Jedi would have never, the, the Order specifically would have never fell. Which you, I think that uh, Palpatine and his, his perspective and a lot of people that follow him for a while within the original saga, he points out a lot of the things that are technically the obvious that the Jedi just don't see because they're so there's a truth to it. Yeah. Yeah, There's a truth to it, but they're so obsessed with being on this side without letting the other extreme come, come into play, which eventually is what happens when, when the order falls and stuff. I think that it's still a, a good, fascinating way to look at it. I love analyzing star Wars and, and you see, the dogmatic views and you see when Yoda says we can't or I think it was Yoda, we can't train him. He's he's no, that's Mace that? Windu. That's Mace Windu that said Mace that. Windu. Yeah. He's too old. He is one of the most dogmatic yeah. He's too old. But then we see Qui-Gon saying, I'm Well, anyway. <laughs> it would be the right it would be the right thing to do it. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that in the the council's views they couldn't have Qui-Gon because he went against what they yep. wanted. But exactly. in reality, Qui-Gon was following the force. Uh, it was a, it was the self righteousness too of of the Jedi and mm -hmm. thinking that they were right. That they and were I, right all the time. I think that that's the biggest yeah. thing. Uh, and it leads, to, yeah, it led to obviously Anakin turning, and, and now Balin uh, Reva. We see that a little bit with her character. I thought it was kind of interesting what they did with her character, but uh, alas, the writing. But speaking of writing. Mm -hmm. Let's transition a little bit now to gaming. Sure. Still stay on the Star Wars side, but I, I take a little bit of umbrage with something you wrote. What's uh, With your op-ed, which it's awesome you did an op-ed for, what is this, Dot .esports. So Dot esports. Actually, yeah. if you don't, yeah, if you don't mind, I know you write for Clownfish. Mm -hmm. how, did this, how did this develop with Dot .esports now? Because now you're doing a little bit more than... Uh, uh, clownfish and what do you do on clownfish reviews or do you do more on that i do a lot more than that i do i wear many okay. hats with, with clownfish i do reviews i do news i okay. do op-eds features and stuff what i do on dot is is almost as okay. because i do features on dot when i pitch them which is what i pitch that but i also do guides and also news as well okay so that's awesome now you're doing um dot esports and whatnot i, I love this is your first if I'm saying this correctly, your first op-ed for Star Wars. For, for on an official website, yes. It's not the first op-ed for yes. Star Wars I've ever written because I've written many others and some of them, yes. they, they're, they're, you can't find them so much on the internet anymore because websites changing and stuff. But this was the first one that I did on a much larger outlet that I did like that, okay. that I had to pitch and stuff. Okay, good. Thank you for clarifying. And 
this is a great op-ed. I actually, I, I, I take umbrage with it. Not that I, it's wrong. I think everything you say in here is actually extremely fair and accurate and is right. So the op-ed, is Outlaws really the first open world Star Wars game? Yeah. In your words, how would you answer that question? Do you think it is? I would say yes. And it's because the biggest reason, one of the big things behind it and my motivation behind it is because Star Wars fans and even gamers to an extent, we can't all agree on what an actual open world game is and what the actual criteria and standard is for what is considered an open world game. I think it's constantly changing amongst people and there's never a fair kind of like goalpost for a game to be classified as that because I think a lot of games that, and some of the ones I pointed out to in the op-ed was that there's a lot of games that are brought up by the Star Wars fandom that are not necessarily or not true open world games. They have open they have what's called open world elements to them, which yeah. is parts of what an open world or what would make up an open world game, but they're not open world games by classification. I love what you say about Black Ops 3 being an RPG. That wouldn't really make sense, but it has those elements in it. Mm. Um, reason I take umbrage with it is you're right. You're completely right about it, except it's not if we're getting down to semantics here because it's kind of what you're saying the semantics of of people saying well what even is open world well there's multiple worlds in this it's an open galaxy game that's what it is that's well that that's the problem though it's like again just because it's open yeah. galaxy by design when you look at it just from a game design perspective that is essentially open world if if, yeah, if there yeah. was a certain criteria then that that was one of the biggest things i had to do with that features i had i had to define okay what can constitute an open world game because once you have that then we could go and discuss everything else and really kind of try to break it down. And the biggest things I, I'm telling you, I had to do not only a lot of research for it, but I also had to go back and forth with the editors at Dot Esports because sometimes, even though I feel I had a very strong argument stuff, they would say like, "Look, maybe you're uh, was it you're describing a sandbox game, which is an entirely different thing, which is not the same as open world, which is what a lot of these games that get brought up end up becoming." When you classify them the other ones too is that some of the reasoning and some of the examples i tried to bring up some of the editors personally didn't agree with it even though i was right by actually supporting all the influence stuff because even they had their own personal views on what is what when it comes to what an open world games the game is what a sandbox game is what constitutes the criteria for fulfilling that and i had to be the one who's like look okay for the sake of this op-ed this is what it is because this is based on not only past games that have been released over the years not star wars and non-star wars but also what de developers have said over the years too one of the biggest ones most recently that everybody brings up now because of you know it being so popular star wars jedi survivor you know that was a question that was asked to the devs straight up and they said no they don't consider their game to be open world and when you look at it in the same way that i was breaking everything down it totally makes sense why they would say that yeah you mentioned in it you bring up uh lego star wars the skywalker yeah. saga i think that would be uh a good choice if you were to say oh what is the first open world star wars game that would be a good choice but like you say it is very level based as well which i think that kind of takes away from it there, there's another thing designed too. there's another yeah, thing too world. that that takes away from it too which is like here i'll even tell everybody now it's like if they haven't read the op-ed i mean go read it but this is like some of the criteria i said what makes an open world game. Not only do you have to have a lot of space to explore, to look around, explore, and be rewarded for that exploration, 
but you also have to have a dynamic environment. A dynamic environment means that it's not just stuff that's placed in there. It's stuff that's placed in there that interacts with itself that also changes. So perfect example of that would be games like Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden West, games like Grand Theft Auto, games like No Man's Sky that, that fulfill that where you have all this space. You could go explore, you could find subquests, you could find other like hidden goodies, like all this other stuff. But also you could just sit back and watch the world interact with itself, you know, and just completely just, you know, do its own thing. And then finally, at least for me, not be limited to your, uh, with your exploration or in your freedom by story progression, where the narrative could be there. But the narrative isn't what dictates what you are allowed to do within that world. And for me, you know, for games like Jedi Survivor, for games like Lego Star Wars, for games like Star Wars Galaxies, for games like, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, Knights, of the, Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic, all those games, what they have in common is that their narrative dictates how much you could actually move around and explore and actually have enough freedom to do what you want. It's not so much just the space. That you have it has to be all those things that i mentioned working together in tandem consistently throughout the experience the only caveat with that which is what we i went back and forth with the editors over there and even other people other people got mad because i said this you know with games like grand theft auto grand theft auto has the islands okay what that's really a cause of really it's not so much the progression trying to limit you that's actually a limitation of the hardware that they were made on yeah. for a while grand, specifically grand theft auto 3 grand theft auto vice city games like that where the game can only render so much like that you know and it has to prevent you from going further before things can progress and stuff with the story or whatnot so it, it, there's a lot of things that go into it but that's at least where i felt like this could be a fair assessment of like how to tackle that type of topic especially when nobody else really agrees on it yeah, and I'm just I'm just messing. I think um I think it's a great op-ed and I, that last point right there really once I kind of understood that it made sense to me because I was thinking Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, they're open world games, but actually they're more of Metroidvania type of games. Kind of uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, where it is open it's open area or maybe even designed to be an open world, but the progression is locked behind story elements that you later have to come back. Funny enough, you should say that to. because again, this is something the devs were asked directly. I believe it was either an IGN interview or some other interview by either Game Informer or Kotaku at some point. But this was this was a while back before the game came out, and so they were asked about that. And really, they kind of like classify it, or at least they describe it as a, like an action RPG or an action platformer. Because really, there there's not really a lot of RPG elements to it, other than like, I thought it was a platform. Yeah, it's really Funny an enough, action yeah. platformer. It's it's the same way that you look at Dark Souls. Dark Souls is really an action game, an action platformer, even though it has heavy RPG elements in it. You know, on top of like the yeah. worlds, Elden Ring is one that I feel like is a good one that could you could make a stronger argument for be it being an open world. But again, it still falls into that same thing where a lot of the stuff in that world is not interacting with itself. It's just kind of placed there. And the same thing in Jedi Survivor when you're in a I forgot the, the world's name, but in the main worlds where you have the cantina, right? And you're going around exploring the areas outside in the fields like that. I think it's Kobo. Kobo is the, is the word. Kobo. Right? Yeah. yeah. When you're exploring Kobo, right? And you see some of the troops walking around and stuff. Those troops are not always interacting with the other things around them. Not with the droids, with the it's animals. And stuff. Path, yeah. They sometimes do when they come into contact and stuff. But like you can't just go out into the fields and then have different dynamic, you know, interactions between those things. Like, it would be awesome if it did. That'd be amazing. But the game wasn't designed like that. Like, you could still go onto the field and find those same groups of troopers every time you use a, a, a meditation point in the exact same location, the exact same spots where they start and stop and what they run into and stuff. It's not dynamic. It's kind of scripted almost. So you mentioned 
these RPG games because RPGs, they have a lot of other elements in them. Yeah. It could be open world RPG, action RPG, uh, platformer RPG, uh, I guess a shooter RPG. Yeah. So a, a giant RPG. Galaxies. <laughs> Galaxies, really. <laughs> uh nice or republic yeah republic galaxies i actually never played galaxies uh but yeah you're right outlaws has the opportunity to be the first open world star wars game which it will be as far as we know unless another game comes out out of nowhere but outlaws i think will end up being my most anticipated game ever or at least top three I'm extremely excited for it. The the information that's been coming out, you can, like in the uh, Battlefront, old Battlefront games, you could take off, yeah. go into space, fly wherever you want. I mean, it's it almost a sandbox. The yeah. Literally go they, from yeah. to space seamlessly, which is awesome. Uh, I, I, I absolutely cannot wait for it. So it's it's Star Wars. It, it's the gift that never it's stops giving, giving. Yeah. <laughs> it never It never does. It, no matter where you're at in pop culture, Star Wars will be there. So. Star Wars, it's giant. It influences a lot of other things. We talked about uh, Star Trek, Star Trek a little bit. Star Wars, we even mentioned Starfield a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to go back to Starfield. It's funny how all of these things are kind of mm -hmm. coming together, but uh, Starfield. I've been playing it on Game Pass. You mentioned earlier you're playing it on Game Pass. Yes. You're actually going to write a review for it. Yep, for Clownfish. Clownfish, okay. I'm excited for that because it's going to take me years to finish this game or complete it. I'm the, I don't, I don't stick into, um, I don't, I don't stay playing one game constantly. I actually have a giant rotation. So one day I'm playing Disney Speedstorm. The next day I'm playing, uh, Elden Ring. The next day I'm playing, you know, whatever. So Starfield, I'm enjoying it a mm -hmm. lot. Actually, I'm enjoying it. I'm not the biggest fan of RPGs. I'm not the biggest fan of Bethesda. I've always wanted to get into Skyrim, and I played, you know, eight to ten hours. Enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It lost me. Mm -hmm. Fallout, Fallout. I love the premise of Fallout. The vault, getting out of the vault. It's open world, RPG elements. I love it. I love the presentation. You know, eight to ten hours, twelve hours, I fall out of it. Starfield, I see being a different story. I think I'm going to stay in Starfield's world or uh, universe, mm. whatever, a little bit longer because of all of its elements. So I'm not that far in it. I'm maybe two to three hours in. I just joined Vanguard, got some missions from them. Okay, yeah. So you're mad early. You're, you're, I'm, I'm you're still, early. <laughs> I'm still very early. Um, not exploring too much, but I'm, I'm actually more so exploring the dialogue options in the lore i'm, I'm en actually enjoying the world they're creating mm -hmm. and i think that's what's drawing me to it more so than a fallout or skyrim i love the factions i love the the history that they're creating in the world so i kind of have here and i want to get your opinions on this i don't i don't know where you're at with your review or where you're at in the game specifically but so far this has been extremely contentious the scores yeah. And I have I have my own take on that, and I think it's just because, not that eighty six. What is it? Eighty six on Metacritic. Eighty seven. Last I checked, I think it might have gone down or, or gone up at one point. That's what I so, saw getting passed around was eighty seven. Yeah. So let's let's say eighty seven. It's not that eighty seven is bad at all. You actually say that according to IGN, even a seven out of ten is a good game. Yeah, seven out of ten. Eight on out of ten is good. That's yeah. what it's listed as. 
an eight out of ten is a great game. Eight point seven out of ten technically is what this would be. Yeah. Very great game. I think the problem is is when you start comparing it to other games. What I think Halo Infinite got an eight point seven mm. or eight eighty seven. You know, there were other games that score in the eighties that I think the fans think that uh compare you know when you compare it they're just not on the same level so i don't think it's the fact that starfield has a low score i think it's just the fact that starfield is not being presented as better than some of these other games you know what i mean yeah and that's going to be hard that's going to be hard to justify with a game that's this massive Mm -hmm. and what i have experienced myself and i want to get your opinions on this is starfield is huge right the way it's presented is it's presented like a Bethesda game like Fallout or or Skyrim where there's this sandbox. There's this world you're put into it, right? And you're left kind of your own devices. Yeah, there's a story. Yeah. But you can kind of choose. You can choose really whatever you want to do. And I kind of have here is that Starfield is the astronomically mundane type of game. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but really what it is, is no matter where you go in the game, it is a vast world that is full of um, normalcy. And I think that okay, in I comparison to, uh, yeah, I think compared to other games that are more in your face, more action, more, a lot is happening that it kind of overshadows the perfection of the normalcy of starfield where you can it's almost like a sim i think if you look at starfield more of like a galactic simulator it kind of shines a little bit more you know in the quality aspect because they they've managed to create such a great uh just in the few hours i've spent going through dialogue options you can live a pretty uh vast you know you can live a life in this universe of vast decision making is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It seems like there's just so many options that it's really hard to base this off a linear game. So think about other 87s. Like think about the Uncharted games or um, Horizon. What was it? Forbidden West got an 87 or something or close some to that. Or 80s or 90s, something like that. High 80s or 90s. Well, when you compare a linear game to this that has dyn- uh really you know dynamic moments that you can recall me and you are never going to have the same experience in really any game because we have our own inputs that we're going to put in but especially starfield we may never see the same planet as or each the other. same you know what I mean? exchanges or the same like instances exactly and i think that's something you know astounding in its own right something special in its own right so last thing i'll say on that is it's funny it's bringing it way back to last stand media i went to the first ever live event Mm. that they had oh yeah and it was the greatest games of all time and chris reagan brought up halo 3 and one of the definitely on that great (laughs) so that that is a, a linear game but really what his argument was is that it's the engine it's almost like a sandbox engine where you can break the game so that makes it astounding that makes it um special that makes it great in its own right is the fact that you can kind of go into it and kind of do your own thing against what was maybe intended for you to do and i think starfield is kind of in that same category where you're not necessarily breaking the game but 
you are you could break the entire design of the story of the game by not doing it you know what i mean by having your own creating your own story within this sandbox simulator type of game and that's very hard to judge so as someone who is going to review this game what's your thought process because it's going to be hard to narrow down dynamic story beats or dynamic moments because you may never have the same exchanges as anyone reading your review in, in a vast game like this of course but here's the thing about a game like this and and i think that it's a it's an interesting like thought process to go through right the the problem with reviewing a game like starfields or any game that's similar to it is that a lot of people with the comparisons to other games are looking at it in that same lens of like what those other games were okay the thing is starfield is never going to be like halo Halo 3 or whatnot, because obviously it's not as linear. There's a lot of other things going on with it. It's the aims of both of those games and many others that it's being compared to are radically different. Starfields, where its aim, at least from what I got from the descriptions of it and what I've seen from it prior to playing it, is that it wants you to have the same type of vibe that you get from a Fallout or a Skyrim, but overwhelmingly like scale it up and to include all of outer space. Because the thing that you get from Bethesda games, especially a game like Fallout and a game like this, is that you have a freedom to really explore a lot of these like different places. That's its core aim. On top of everything else with its own story, with its own like, you know, different types of like branching paths and stuff. That seems to be a real big trend over the last few years with certain studios branching off paths and like permutations of a core story that you make your own. In some way, that's a lot of what all of Baldur's Gate 3 is all about, like, because Baldur's Gate 3 has a set path, but it's not like you're going to get there the same way or get to it. I see a lot of people comparing the two. The reason why they're comparing is because of, like, how many permutations you have within a given story. It's still your story, even though it's laid out for you a certain way with all the dialogue decisions, etc. And that's the same thing going on with Starfield. But really, when I do my reviews, and it's not just this type of game, but any type of game... I try to look at them as like, okay, what is the core experience of this? And what is it trying to aim for and try to do if it is successful? And how does it make me feel as I go through this? A lot of people have said, uh, a lot of the detractors for a lot of people that disagreed with like the 7 out of 10s or less with uh, certain outlets like IGN, they gave it a 7 out of 10 for their Starfield review. They were complaining that, look, you only played like 55 hours of this game. You didn't get to see all these other things that were going on with it, which I understand and I get it. If you're someone that's like really rah-rahing for this game, but understand with a lot of that stuff, and this is why I disagreed a little bit with Matt, with Matty, you know, Mr. Matty plays when him and Cog talked about it on, on Defining Duke, there's still 30, 40, 55 plus hours that you still have to play through leading up to that point of where you feel that Starfield gets good. My thing is, is that when I'm playing a game for that long and stuff, is the journey that I'm going on within that time frame, the process and the time I spent doing all this stuff, is that enjoyable to me? It's not so much just what's there, the content of it, as and that's, you know, it plays a factor, but really, how does it make me feel as I'm going through all this? If I'm being fair enough, you know, to give it a chance to do my due diligence, to spend enough time with it where I feel like I get a good solid grasp on what this game is or what this game is trying to be. It's not so much if it feels similar or is the exact same thing that I get from another game. This is why when reviewers and critics like myself, when we review games, we should not compare it to other games. We should never bring up or try our best not to bring up other games when we're trying to critique something. Because, yeah, you could say, okay, Halo 3 had certain things that were different than Halo 2. Halo Infinite was not as good as Halo 3. You know, it's a, some people find it to be the best in the series, whatever. 
that's true, especially with a series of games where there's a predecessor to it, where you could actually have a baseline or a benchmark to compare it to. But when you're talking about games that are very different and games that are so on opposite ends of the spectrum of what games are and what the genres are defined as within that spectrum, you know, you can't really compare it to other games. It's okay. You could try to compare it to, to Fallout, to Skyrim, to any Elder Scrolls or any sort of like Bethesda-like game. You know, a lot of people also also brought up The Outer Wilds, which is another game that have been compared to Starfields like that, which I okay. understand. But again, Outer Wilds is not trying to do the same thing that Starfields yeah. doing. There's a vast, completely different big difference in scale, in exploration, in what, you know, the types of ways that you explore. Because I'll tell you right now, one of the big things that I enjoy about Starfield so far, without getting too deep into what my review is going to be, I love yeah. the space uh, exploration with the flying of the ship. You know, it took me a minute to get like accustomed to it because I think one of the cons that I could say in my review is that, you know, Starfield doesn't do a good job of explaining certain systems to you where you kind of have to just kind of like stumble upon it or really fiddle around to get an understanding of what you could do and how things work. Like it took me a little bit of figuring out how to dock my damn ship at one point, which I got really annoyed because it's like, can the game just like give me like a prompt or something and be like, okay, look, this is how you dock a ship. And then I'm good. Then I could go and do all my things. But the game do never does that. I kind of have to figure that out. So that gets annoying. But I will tell you that, like, it's awesome to just be in your ship. Even if you're not in combat, you're like, you're outside of a planet. You're exploring, gathering resources and stuff. That view is freaking awesome. That's a literally a space freaking view. Like, imagine going, and you could do this in Starfield. You could go to the moon and actually explore, like, certain landmarks and stuff. Or orbit the moon and look around, turn around, look at Earth. And look at other stuff like that. There's there's different motivations and different goals of like what this experience is trying to do than everything else. So for me, you know, I'm going to play it throughout the weekend. I'm probably I think I'm maybe 15 to 20 hours in, I think, because a lot of the weird thing about progress with a game like this is that you don't necessarily have to be doing the main quests in order to spend a lot of time with this. Like, I just did a thing with the Rangers. I just started doing some bounty stuff with the Rangers and I finally got my, my Ranger badge, I guess, whatever, to go do missions with them. But I also did the whole Mantis quest, which is like a side quest that you get from the pirates that allows you to get a really dope ship and a really dope piece of armor. Or a, what is it, a spacesuit like that, which is the yeah. Mantis set and everything else that you get from it. <laughs> All that stuff is pretty cool. I spent a lot of time with it, but I'm probably not that far in as far as the main quest, which I'm probably going to end up doing this weekend more than likely. But I you're enjoying the journey. Yeah, enjoying the journey, but enjoying the experience of what that journey is. Like that, because a lot of people said the same thing about Baldur's Gate, and I, I did the same thing with Baldur's Gate. I didn't roll credits of Baldur's Gate, but I did play a long ass time with that game, like just spending time with it and getting an idea of what it is. That's why, like, even though for a lot of us critics, myself included, we try to roll credits on a game before we like actually write our reviews, and sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. But really, yeah, it you get to a point when you're playing a game, if you're being critical about it, it's like, okay. I get where this game is all about. I kind of get what it's trying to do. This is how I feel about it. And this is how I enjoy it. If I'm playing 50 plus hours, what's the common person going to feel like if they spent 50 plus hours? Was this enjoyable for me? Will they enjoy it? That's the type of things that I'm thinking about, especially with this type of game, but really to all types of games. You know, I think with the problem also with a lot of the discourse about these reviews is that you have a lot of people or a group of people trying to nitpick every single thing to discredit other opinions, which I think is wrong. But also, you have a lot of people that are just reviewing this game or putting out opinions about this game that are very disingenuous and not fair to it. Like, what Stella put out about Starfields with her whole write-up about stuff that she said she hadn't played it, you shouldn't be putting a thing like that out there about the game, knowing yeah. how volatile everybody's going to be towards you. There, there was just a lack of, like, poor judgment there. There was a huge amount of poor judgment there. I mean, 
But the same thing with Dan Stapleton. I think Dan Stapleton should have stuck more towards his score because he was the one that reviewed it for IGN and he gave it a 7 out of 10 and he praised it. But he also nitpicked on certain things that people really weren't feeling. He should have never gone on social media to actually just kind of like, you know, run through all his Bethesda reviews and all his other stuff because I don't think he did himself any service with that. It made himself look kind of silly. Anything else? And the same thing with IGN. IGN made themselves look silly when they did that Twitter spaces where they were trying to break down and defend themselves. It's like, look, your writing should speak for itself. Your points should convey to all the people, even those that disagree with you, where you're coming from with this game. If you played it a long time, your writing should show that. You don't have to detail exactly how many hours and break it down for it and stuff. You should actually be able to articulate how you feel about it. You know, and the same thing I felt when I was doing Boulder's Gate. I'm not a D&D player. I'm not someone that actually like plays a lot of games that Larian has done. I never really played Divinity Original Sin like that or Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah, I haven't played any of those. But, you know, I did feel a certain way when I was playing Baldur's Gate 3, and I could respect a lot of aspects about it. I could re- Baldur's Gate 3 kind of reminded me about The Witcher 3 as far as like the story and the amount of like permutations with the dialogue and stuff. My only biggest problem with that game was the bugs that I ran into before and after the patches, which, you know, that game has bugs that people just straight up overlook that funny enough ign did the same thing they gave that game a 10 that game is not a 10 i can tell you from experience i'm spending hours with that game you know but you know regardless of everybody else's opinions it really comes down to if they're being fair if they're being honest if they're being genuine and they're being they're giving their due diligence to the experience they're trying to be critical of because i'll tell you right now with starfield now some of those reviews that 58 from that outlet about starfield that was not fair i could tell you right now i'm not i didn't finish it no way this game's a 58 out of 100 or five out of 10 is that's, that's ridiculous. You know, they're just some yeah. people that just try too hard to be outliers and try too hard to stand out from everyone else that they end up just like impacting their credibility and impacting the whole conversation about certain games, whether it's this one or anything else. I feel like it's the case that credibility should drive numbers. Not, not However, nonsense, not, not, a not trying to say something or put something out yes. in order to get hate clicks that that's a big problem in the games industry, not just with reviews, but with news and op-eds and, and opinions. This is why a lot of outlets are having big problems, you know, as far as, uh, how they're trying to, you know, interact with other people, how they're trying to generate an audience and why they're not retaining an audience and why they're going through a lot of issues. This is why also why Last Stand Media, believe it or not, as much as some of these people in, in the games industry don't like them, why Last Stand is doing so well and why it's got the biggest PlayStation podcasts on the internet right now. Oh, through Patreon, no less. Like, but, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are all work, like compounding and working together at the same time that, that really make a lot of this discourse and a lot of these conversations end up being a mess. When it really shouldn't, because I think that Bethesda did a hell of a game as far as like their ambition, what they're doing, because they they were working on this for like five years. I think it is not longer and stuff. But, you know, we could be critical while also being fair and really praise a lot of the work that went into this stuff. I completely agree with you as somebody who is does not write reviews or who is not a critic. I just I would do a podcast. But thank you for your because you are actually going to write a review on this. Yeah. So we get a little insight into what your process is. Yeah. You know, your review is going to speak for itself. Yeah. It's going to be backed up by the words in your review. And, and you don't have to do. justify it. And that's what I do yes. with all my reviews. Because again, I, this isn't like I've written only like 10, 20 reviews. I've written yeah. over 600 to 700 plus articles over the last like, 10, uh, was it 12 to 14 years? that I've done in it that not all of them are reviews, but I've done a lot of reviews. So I know how to review a game and, you know, on top of movies and stuff, but really when it comes to games, 
I know how to look at a game critically and actually tell and convey whether I like it or not to the people that look at it. That it's so interesting hearing the, uh, the thought process of that. And you're right. It should be about being, uh, genuine, not disingenuous. But I think what happens is obviously the messiness and the hostility drives the hate clicks. It gets you the views. It gets you the numbers. Being the outlier gets you the numbers. And if the easiest way to be the outlier is to give into the the hate clicks and just the abs absurdity of some of the reviews. I mean, it's just, it, it they don't even, it's like, or, or did you play the same game? If, if my question yeah. after, Sometimes, yeah, yeah if really my does. question as, as somebody who is wow. reading your review is, did you even play the game? If that's what's going through my head, that is probably the worst thing that could happen for your integrity or for your credibility as a critic or reviewer yeah, or whatever. Now there's a thing that comes with that though. There are actually two things. Number one, not everybody is going to be as fair or genuine when they look at your review. Sometimes there's just some people that are just looking for dissenting opinions just to disagree with them yeah. on social media. Okay. A lot of, a lot of time on both sides, some of those people should not be on social media. They should just log off literally because they go looking to fight with people and that's never a good thing. That's a, that's a horrible thing. Even for people in the media, there's some people that work for these larger outs, uh, uh, was it outlets that end up going to look for problems or feels like they're going to look for problems. The other thing too, is that I think that a lot of people just don't know how to disagree with each other. And this was, this was really kind of it happened to me recently within the last few months, because when I did my review of Barbie, because again, I write a lot of movie reviews. I'd said, I didn't praise Barbie like as much as a lot of other people. I read that. I gave it a yeah. six out of I... 10 for, for anybody that didn't see it. I gave it a six out of 10, but I also criticized it because I felt like while I enjoyed aspects of it, this was not the nine or 10 out of 10 that I saw a lot of outlets putting it out there as. And I think they were coming at it from a place, maybe they really enjoyed it, but they also had this vibe where people were just saying what the majority opinion was going to be. And it's like, you can't be that way. You have to be a lot more honest and a lot more fair and a lot more just upfront with how you feel about something without the fear of what the reaction is going to be. And I got, I got heavily criticized for that. I got heavily, my, my whole outlook on women was questioned, which really, you know, a, a one's review on a product should not speak volumes to their outlook on another issue that unrelated, like that happened a lot also with many outlets that were reviewing Far Cry 5. I don't know if you remember this. I know Colin talked about it on Last Stand Media years ago, and he's mentioned it a couple of times. Far For the Cu Cuba outlook on... No, no, no. It was actually Far... Not Far Cry 6, Far Cry 5. Far Cry 5 was about the... Oh, David Koresh, for the religious... And like, yeah, people yeah. were... Or people that were looking at the game in the industry or criticizing it in the industry yeah. were upset that it wasn't talking about Donald Trump. That's a totally... Like, the problem is, at that point, you're talking about something else that's not... Has nothing to do with the game. It's the same thing. They that, missed the forest for the trees. It was about a completely separate issue, but they were or the other, like vaguely thinking it was connected to something that this is it was the other not. thing too. Yeah. And it sucks to say this, but this happened this year. This is what happened with Hogwarts Legacy, where a lot of people were dogging on that mm. game. The Wired review gave it a one out of ten because the writer that was ridiculous. which was insane, yeah. you know, did that because they didn't like J.K. Rowling, which I understand you could have that opinion, but I don't think that the devs for that team deserve that type of treatment. Like that's just not, that's just not, that's a totally like amateur Bush league thing to do to, to another group, to a company. You know, the point is, it's like just people don't know how to disagree with each other. Sometimes people don't know how to talk about stuff with opposing opinions on social media. And it, it really could be a product of social media itself, but maybe it's just bad players that are just getting in positions to do something like that. 
I completely agree with you. And, and that whole sentiment right there, that's why I, I try to not get involved in the discourse as much because other people, when they, if they're, if that's their intention and they start driving the discourse, you can get wrapped up in it. So that's one, one reason I love just doing a podcast because you can get on here and just talk about yeah. it. You're not being re uh, consumed into somebody else's disingenuous, you know, rhetoric about something. And, and Twitter is a major, major platform for, like you said, with the spaces with uh, IGN, where you have to get everybody together to defend yourself. Or get everybody together to attack or somebody. To rally. It's, it's, or to, to like, or, yeah, I think exactly. I think the tool itself, Twitter and X, whatever we call it, Twitter. I call it Twitter because X. Yeah, it, I call but, it Twitter. But Twitter is a tool yeah. and a tool that could be used for a lot of good, for a lot of good things. Oftentimes, with any other tool, it gets misused. And I think in our industry, specifically in the games industry, it could often be mishandled and misused in the worst of ways a lot more often than we realize. We. We actually, me, uh, my co-host and I, we we reference Roger Ebert yeah. quite a bit, and you actually brought him up at the beginning yeah. of this episode. One of episode. my biggest inspirations when it comes to critiquing things. So what's interesting about the the games industry specifically, you just kind of alluded to it, is it is more than just reviewing or critiquing a story. You have to look at the technical feats, the mechanics within the game itself, the engine, or, you know, all of the things that aren't really subjective, uh, more so objective, which is why Digital Foundry is getting the views that it gets, why it's blowing up. Is this, does this game actually hit 60 like it say it's hitting? That is an objective thing that you can, uh, I think that's you know, part of it. Honestly, like yeah. when it comes to reviews as a whole for games, I think that we, a lot of places don't always do it, but what we need to do as critics is to look at them as experiences. It's the sum of those parts that really make up yeah, okay. the, the overall yeah. like value for, for consumers and stuff. And what we could say, like when we give something a specific score for a review, because the technical aspects for gaming specifically are a big factor of it. You know, I'm, I'm a real stickler. I'm a real hard ass when it comes to bugs and glitches and technical things that are problems in games. I've had games that have crashed on me multiple times and I've said as much, give it a low score and the developer or the publisher will get mad at me. It's like, well, maybe if your game didn't crash, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have to say that, but I think that's one aspect of it and the story and, and the, the other aspects with the characters and stuff, all those subjective things, they're part of that. And some people of course, make yeah. certain things a little bit more weighted and a little bit much more of a big deal than others. But really, it's the totality of all those things of where we could actually look at it. It's like, okay, is this experience for all these things really worth the consumer or the common person, the common gamer going out of their way to go get it, buy it and play it? You, you hit it right there, the sum of its parts. And like you said, I think reviewers or outlets maybe focus on one a lot more than the other. And that's, I think, where you see a lot of pushback from because if you're if there's a lot of bugs, but the review outlet isn't talking about the bugs, but they're praising other aspects of it, oh, you go buy the game and you're playing it and there's all these bugs yeah. and then you get... It's like, this, yo, what happened to that what, 10 hey, out of yeah. 10? Or, what or that yeah. 9 out of 10, he was saying, like, yo, this game has, like, it has the characters floating in the air. What the hell? Like, that happens to me a couple of times. That happened to me also with Baldur's Gate. That's why I gave it an 8 out of 10. Okay. With Baldur's Gate, my biggest problem was that the game was locking up on me during battle, where it would get locked up. I don't know if you saw this, where it would lock up certain characters when it comes up to their turn, where it would be like if they were in dialogue. 
So you couldn't like do anything. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to actually reload a save. And that happened to me multiple times. On top of the other one that no, I saw no outlet talking about this. When you're moving around with your party in certain sections, especially if you have to be stealthy, sometimes your party members will go off completely off course and do a totally different thing, which would put them in bubble freaking Egypt in a totally another section that was unintended. Yeah. Nobody talked about that pre and post patch. So it's like, there'll be things like that where there's a very big disparage of like the score of what's actually in there for some people. And again, everybody has different experiences, but when there's certain things like that, you know, I feel like it shouldn't be downplayed. It shouldn't be dismissed. That happened to me with Dan Stapleton from, uh, for, for Baldur's Gate, where I even said that in the comments, I was like, yo, there's bugs in this game. How's this a 10 out of 10? Like then he's like, well, everybody has a different experience. Nobody experiences it and stuff. I was like, yo, but that means that just means we overlooked it. Like that's a big bug to miss out on. <laughs> like, and I'm not the only one. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. saying, but it, it's goofy when it happens. I have a small example of that with uh, Jedi Survivor. Yeah, if you remember, a lot of people experienced that with. A lot of people experienced bugs with that. I only experienced one bug yeah. my entire playthrough. Yeah. And yeah. I was surprised because people were asking me, they were like, do you even like the game? I said, I love the game. Well, there's all these bugs. I only experienced one bug where I had to reset my save and that was it. I didn't have any other bugs. You know what's bugs. weird about that? It, a lot of it happened in the PC version for, for a lot of people and stuff. Because I, mm. I did my review on PS5. Okay. A lot of the time, when yeah, I review same. console games, if it's not exclusive, I'll do it on PS5 just out of habit. Or, or whatnot, but a lot of people ended up experiencing that in the PC version and in a couple other instances and stuff. But the patches luckily fixed all that. But the problem is, too, that, that I, I'm a little bit of a stickler for, when I'm reviewing a game, I'm reviewing it at that time. Like, I don't care at that time, if you're yeah. getting patches a month or two down the line. That's fine. But what is it like on late, release? Yeah. Like, what is it right now? Yep. You're shipping this game right now, so what's the deal? Like, you, you run into a, a Cyberpunk 2077 situation where the game ships <sighs> A certain way and it's like a disaster it's like i at that point i have no reason to go back to cyberpunk you know after the way that turned mm -hmm. out like i don't care if it fixed it a year or two later no man's sky had the same thing at one point that game was totally different on launch i was there at launch for no man's sky and i i jumped out so quick you, you want me to tell you something uh, this is weird for me because again you were there at launch i was there at yeah. e3 seeing this game in person oh. i saw this with cd project red amongst a lot of other people in journals, like a lot of other people that bigged it up and stuff. And it was cool, but it's like, you know, when you see a game and when it goes through the motions and stuff and it gets up to that point with release and it turns out a certain way, it's like, okay, that's when I'm going to judge it on when I'm reviewing this. Like, I'm not going to come back a year or two when things are kind of gone and irrelevant at this point to give it a re-review. A lot of people bring that up often, most of the time for a lot of the larger websites. And I don't think that's fair. Because there's all these other games that are coming out that people want to know about. Why am I going to take time to go back a year or two later to go look at Cyberpunk, you know, to re-review that game? You know, granted, it gets DLC yeah. and everything else. They get patches. That's fine. That's an entirely different conversation, though. Apparently, it just had an amazing update yeah. this week. Yeah. And how long has it been since launch? Well, well mean... keep in mind, the PlayStation 4 version is non-existent. That game could not run on a PS4. But everywhere else, now it's a little bit better. But imagine how those people felt that the time around launch, like their game was broken. It got pulled from the PSN. Like, come on. Which is a big deal. Very big that deal. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of games this year. We actually, on the last episode, talked about what is the greatest year ever in gaming. Oh, that's and if you have a, that's, that's hard. If you have a, if you have an answer for that, you just tell oh, me. But I, I, I know got, it's a very tough question. I got one I would say question. is the year that both Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, and, and, um, 
2020. Yeah, so 2020, 2020 yep. was definitely up there because of the game awards, like the game of the year conversation was ridiculous. But there's been others too that I would have to really go back because I think I don't remember if that was the same year that Sekiro came out or if that was like beforehand. Then there was the game when, or the year when everything got announced at E3 and stuff, you know, when the Switch was fresh. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of arguments that could be made. Yeah, what was that? I think it was 20. I think that was, that was 2020. I believe. I think. 2019. 2019 okay. or 2018. Because like, I, I, I went to E3 that year for the Switch launch because yeah. the Switch uh, launched that, that spring, then March prior to with Breath of the Wild. Okay. So, yeah, that was probably that was probably 2018. Well, 2018 was God of War, Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, again, like look at, look at that lineup yeah. like that. I mean, those are PlayStation, Insane. but, like, across the board, we had a ton of stuff. I think we actually came in with uh, 2018 as number one on mm. it. I wanted to do this year, but it's not over. Yeah. So I felt like it would be unfair. So before we end this, this year, a lot of games, they have a lot of games came out mm. already. I mean, game of the year, there's, there was about 10 game of the year contenders that have released in the first half of the year. First few months, first, what, eight months, nine months of the year. We still got some games yeah, coming out later this year coming soon is is going to be spider-man for a lot of people yes i mean you could you could throw in games like mortal kombat 1 technically because it's right around the corner like that but as far as like hype is it's not even comparable yeah like, like spider-man's the bigger game so <laughs> what just top down 2023 game of the year contender okay so like top five out of this year top five okay what stands out? So, in no descending order, because I, I can't. I think it's hard to. It's, it's too. It's so too much. I would say Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, is one. It's definitely up okay. there. A lot of people are not going to include it, but I definitely would because I, I, when I reviewed, I gave it a nine out of ten because I really enjoyed it. Um, I would say Jedi Survivor as well, even though that game had problems for some people. When I, when I was done with it, that game was dope. I think it was another big banger. Uh, I would definitely say if I had to choose Street Fighter Six. Definitely another one. Okay. We'll definitely put up there because I like Street Fighter. I, I love Street Fighter yeah. in general, and I thought that was a hugely successful release for that. Some, even though I didn't play it, I know some people are going to put it on there. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom would definitely probably be up there for a lot of people. Is another one for top five. And then if I had to choose a fifth one, more than likely my pick is going to be Spider Man, even though I haven't played it yet. But it's more than likely going to be up there because I played Spider Man PS4 and I, I I played that late and I love that game. The game was so much fun. I wouldn't put because there's other games that people would put on there. Baldur's Gate, some people would put on there, which I can understand. If you want to replace any of that top five, I would take out Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, put in Baldur's Gate instead. Yeah. Uh, some people would probably say Starfield, which, again, I'm still, uh, I'm jury still out with that. I have to figure out where I stand with it. Um, some people would say Diablo 4, but Diablo 4 has got a lot of problems right now going on with that game. I was going to pick up Diablo 4 to play it and review it, but. I never got to it because I was in between games. I had just finished Street Fighter 6 and I was waiting. Oh, Final Fantasy 16. That's the other one. I was going to yeah. say Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. And then what about RE4 Remake? RE4 Remake. Here's the thing. I didn't get to RE4. And, and the reason being is because around it. the time that RE4 was coming out, Jedi Survivor was coming out. And, yes. And, and yep. I, that's why I skipped over it. And the same thing I skipped over uh, Diablo 4 was because I wanted to play Final Fantasy 16. And I think that if I had to pick one that's in the lead for me, I would probably say Final Fantasy 16 for me personally, okay. even though I know there's arguments that could be made for bigger games, better games for other people. But that's my personal, at least right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what my personal is. It's we actually we did an episode where we, you know, we did we got like 20 games and we we all picked them and um, 
you know, what our favorites, what our contenders were, would probably be. And I'm not sure. I think Jedi survivors up there. Mm. Um, I don't think it'll, I don't even think it'll be in the top five, but I, for me, it's up there Mm. personally. I, I don't know if shredders revenge came out this year, but Uh, I think that was criminally overlooked. I don't think, damn, I would have to look at a schedule because I don't think it came out this year because I know I had a DLC recently. That was the shell shock DLC, but but as much as I enjoyed that game, actually, no, it did come out. It was early this year. June. Was it early? Uh, no. Wow. It was actually June 16th last, last year. year. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah. Because, again, it's been a, a hot minute with that. But even then, in that year, as much as I know everybody acknowledged it, I don't think it was even one of the big contenders, to be honest. Like, And that sucks because that game is, is a joy to play through, especially if you're a Team NT fan. I, I think there's just so many games that are overlooked. Yeah. Uh, because there's game of the year is about the zeitgeist it's about the hype yeah so i'm looking on here now i had i know last year sifu got overlooked i was pretty upset about that because was a dope game last year like that i mean elden ring won last year i would have given it to god of war because i have my own thoughts about elden ring just in general uh for me personally i felt god of war was the game that was the best experience just just as a package for me, last year, I think it's one of the greatest games ever made, Horizon Forbidden West. It and I is like Horizon, but I don't think it was fantastic. Game of the year for me. Like, I liked Horizon Forbidden West a lot. Like, I actually wrote, did I write? Because I know I did stuff for Zero Dawn for, for Red Bull game. I don't remember if I did it for Forbidden West as well at one point, but I really liked it. I enjoyed my time with it. Yeah, this year stacked. Um, yeah, you just mentioned a lot of great games. I know I'm forgetting I wanted, a few, I, like, that are in there. I'm, <laughs> So, I know Sea of Stars just came out. I feel like that'll get criminally overlooked. Yeah. I'm, I have it downloaded. I still, I still have to play it. It just came out. And let's see, Atomic Heart. Yeah, I, I don't think like Atomic that. Heart's making that in there. Like, no. I reviewed that. That game should have been better than what it turned out. Like, it, it was, it was a mess when I played it. Let's see, Alan Wake Two's coming out. I'm not a fan of Alan. Yeah, Wake, but I don't, but... I don't even think that's gonna be. Is that coming out this year? Wolf Among Us Two. It is okay. I don't... It was says on track for 2023. I'm not okay, sure if well, they if, unless they have a gave a date, date. I usually say like that might get delayed and stuff, but I don't even know if that's going to be as big. Supposedly, Hollow Knight Silk Song. Yeah, but even so, like I know there's a there's a following yeah. for that game, but I don't think it's going to be as big as some of these other ones. Like I don't think it's going to be Baldur's Gate big. I don't think it's going to be Spider Man big. Like to me, if I had to choose like the two big ones that's going to come down to at the Game Awards in December, it's probably going to be Baldur's Gate. Uh, was it a Spider-Man and probably Final Fantasy 16, and and that's with Tears of the Kingdom because I know a lot of people like Tears of the Kingdom, but I but that that the problem is is that it, Tears of the Kingdom did not have the impact of Baldur's Gate or Final Fantasy 16 did honestly this year. If I had to really, it choose. didn't have it didn't have the impact that uh, what was the first one? Uh, Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. No, the first. Uh, the the Legend of Zelda. The oh, other uh, one, Breath of the Wild. The past one. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. I wanted to say Breath of the Kingdom because I'm <laughs> looking at the at the title right now. But I think when it comes to Zeitgeist or Game of the Year contender, I really think Tears of the Kingdom is going to be on there just because it's Nintendo. It's <laughs> it's Nintendo. It's Nintendo. Yeah, but besides that, I think you're right. I think um, Baldur's Gate, 
Final Fantasy and um, if, I, if I had to choose Spider Man, if I had to choose who I think the 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 judges for the Game Awards are going to pick to win, I think Baldur's Gate's going to get it, and I think that it's solely because I think of a few reasons. Number one, I think the impact. Well, that, but also I think that a lot of the judges that they have for the Game Awards, which it's a whole like two hour conversation about that alone, where I don't think that, like a lot of those judges play everything. And I think they play yeah. a select few of games. And I think Baldur's Gate specifically, because a lot of that crew or click is into D&D, that they all played that game. And I feel like that's oh, going okay. to be the game that gets it from everybody, honestly. Yeah, I I love um, Game of the Year, the time that time of year. It's the game of the, you know, time for Game of the Year, yeah. except I, I just hate the actual... Uh, what what is it event because it seems not disingenuous but it's just it doesn't matter there's a lot of really. questionable things with it like yes like some of the categories like some of the nominees i just domaino says like i forgot which one it was last year that that sifu was i think it was in best fighting game it's like what the hell is this doing here in best fighting game? it's yeah. not a fighting game like all these are like mortal Kombat or or anything else like what, what's it doing there like it's more so an action game. It, yeah. it pretty much is. It, exactly. It's an action yeah. game. But but like there'll be other ones where I think are could also bring up questions as far as like why certain nominees are there or why certain games end up winning certain categories where you could say in some in some of them it's like, okay, like this was like neck and neck because there's a lot of fans of both. That's what happened with God of War and Elden Ring last year. But Oh the, yeah, that was the, there's battle. there was uh, there's an argument there that either one of those games could be made, even though I want I thought God of War should have won. But like there'll be other categories like content creator of the year, where some of the nominees are people that actually work in the industry. Where it's like, yeah. what's going on here? This looks like a conflict of interest. Like it just it just comes off weird. <laughs> it comes off very weird and very questionable. But there there are other aspects. I I give Jeff Keighley a lot of credit for making the show what it is because he's the only one with the actual fortitude to do it. That, that's just a fact. And, he yeah, and he does a good job. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it it's it's a fun time of the year because of the announcements and, yeah, and the world premieres. <laughs> the world premieres everything <laughs> besides game of the year. Oh, so, the music! You got you got to give up. You got to give Jeff a credit oh, for the yeah. live music. I've never been yeah. to the game awards personally myself, but I would love to be in that room to hear like it looks some like of the time. orchestra orchestra music because they've done that at E3 in the past. Like I was there in the Sony one couple one times where they did yeah. that live action where they did it for Ghost of Tsushima, they did it for God of War, and it's awesome. Like it's a really cool experience. So you said Ghost of Tsushima. That's I that's love Ghost Sucker Tsushima. Punch is actually my favorite studio. That game is so good. They yeah. won you I don't know if you remember, they actually got an ambassadorship for the island of Tsushima in Japan yeah. because yep. of their work in that game. And what was sad was that, you know, there was a lot of outlets that I saw dunking on them for various reasons. I'm like, these guys did something amazing. That game still looks gorgeous to me. It it has, I think, as of right now, the the greatest and the most beautiful opening title. Yeah, what are you riding through game. the field? Yep. Yeah, that yep. game is, uh, is so good. Yep. I love when Golden that hit Temple. me. The Golden was... Temple looks beautiful to me. Oh yeah, that game is it's it's fantastic. But Sucker Punch, yeah, Sucker my Punch. favorite studio. Sucker Punch, they, 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 I cannot wait for that game to get a sequel because you know a PS Five that game you is know gonna it's going to amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can't wait. Oh my god! So that's um, those are the games coming out this year. I'm I'm excited for Spider Man, of course. Spider the first one it was the only game I've ever platinum twice, oh, wow. just because. Yeah, I when when the remaster came out. I did not want to transfer my save. I said, I'll start over and do this again from scratch. Yeah, that game is awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, great year. 
I can't wait to see how it stands in the discussion of games throughout the year. I years. think there's going to be a so. lot of Regency bias for some people because that always happens towards the end of the year for a lot of games that come out. Like There are going to be games that came out like January, February that get forgotten. I mean, the obvious one, I think that's going to get forgotten, not just because of that, but for other reasons, it's going to be Hogwarts Legacy. As good as that game, and how much of an impact, because I think still to this day for this year, that's the highest selling game this year, period. Oh, really? Yeah, across all platforms. And it still hasn't even come out on Switch yet, but for all platforms, as far as I know. Because I remember reading a thing about that recently, that it's still selling like ridiculous amounts of copies because of it being in the Wizarding World and Harry Potter and stuff. Yeah, that's true. It's That's another pop culture IP right there. Yeah. So... I, yeah, I think uh, this is year is going to be one of my favorites. I've, I've having, I'm having such a good time just running through games this year. I haven't really jumped into some recent games that have come out because I like to s- slowly go through my backlog. And if games come out, I kind of like to wait a little bit for patches and whatnot. It's only you know with certain games where I'll be there day one. And Mortal Kombat 1 is going to be one of those. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be criminally overlooked, too. I don't think so. Because it just looks amazing. You, you know, something I don't think is going to be overlooked. And, and it's really because of a lot of the attention it's been getting in other aspects of pop culture and entertainment. Because <gasps> there's a couple things. You're right about there's that. There's one. Yeah. That we had the recent announcement with Natara being Megan Fox, who's in the game. Megan Fox. Yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. has his skin in the game. Yeah. That's a full circle moment for that series. But also... Omni-Man, yeah, Omni-Man Homelander. and Homelander yeah, all, right. and Peacemaker. All that stuff is part of it. But what really stood out to me and why I think this is going to be much bigger than what it is is because Ed Boon was on Hot Ones recently talking about this game and talking about Mortal Kombat. Oh, that, that okay. Was, that came out of left field. And I was like, you got Ed yeah, Boon to come to I didn't Hot know Ones? about that. And it's because Mortal Kombat 1 is coming out. And it's like, you know something? That's interesting. That I think is pretty cool. Okay. It might be, okay. It might It might resonate outside of the normal gaming yeah. community, like you're saying, more so. I didn't really, I didn't even think about that. That's, yeah, but again, yeah. the celebrity, like you know, castings for the voices, because it's not the first time that Mortal Kombat did that. Last year, they got yeah. uh, what is it? Um, the the MMA fighter to play Sonya Blade. Um, no, not Gina Carano. Oh. Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. Yeah, Ronda Rousey to be yeah. uh, what is it? Sonya Blade. And they've had other yeah. voices, like they had obviously their guest characters with Spawn and. They have Yuri Lowenthal. Yeah, like they they got a lot of different people that are coming in to do like that are celebrities doing these voices stuff. They got Stallone last year. Like it was a big deal. Like I think that type of stuff for for that series in particular allows it to kind of branch out and kind of break away into other aspects of pop culture that you don't see from Tekken and Street Fighter. Because remember, I think Tekken Eight is coming out next year. Like unfortunately, they pushed it back into next year. But which they had to with this year, which I understand because it's been so stacked at the end of the year. It was the right move. Yeah. But with Street Fighter, Street Fighter doesn't have that same type of thing that Mortal Kombat has because Street Fighter doesn't really get into that type of stuff. It's very niche in comparison. Yeah, I loved. I I've always loved fighting games, and um, I love Street Fighter. But Mortal Kombat has a cultural impact to yeah. it. It's just it's fun. Yeah, it has the movies, the old movies, yeah. and now the new movies. The, you know <laughs> the new movies, the new movie so, being made literally. right now. Yeah, which is a big deal. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm super excited for that. So, all right, I I could talk about games forever. I love mm-hmm. games. Um, I love movies. So, how do you feel? You feel good? I'm feeling good about st- about uh, was it gaming and everything like that? Like this okay. year again. 
playing Starfields right now, waiting on Mortal Kombat, because I'm going to do a lot of content with Mortal Kombat, hopefully on that esports yeah. soon, besides me doing a review and stuff, for probably for Clownfish. But I'm going to do stuff on YouTube as well, because once that come out, because I love MK in general. I've been with MK since the very beginning. I played on the original MK uh, machine, the arcade machine, back, like, what, 92, 93? Yeah. Like that, so, like, I've been since with the series for so long, though. I mean, I'm excited. I'm hyped up for it. Awesome. So you just mentioned... You're going to be doing a little bit on YouTube and you're going to be making content. Mm -hmm. So this has been such a quality filled episode. You brought some great uh, insight <laughs> and, and thought process and analyses to this. I love it. I'm, I'm going to have a lot here mm. to hopefully everybody to enjoys it. and get, get out some yeah. good food for thought and stuff. I think so. This this has been great. So thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me. I know. I really appreciate mm -hmm. it. Yeah, of course. So where can people find you? You said YouTube, but yeah, so you're, you're everywhere. I'm literally everywhere. I'll put your link tree yeah, in the description. Yeah, like, again, there's so many spots. Yeah. I'm, uh, what is it? I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Jake James Lugo, where I try to upload every single week. Usually, sometimes multiple times a week, you know, between regular videos, gameplay videos, my podcasts that I try to put up every week. YouTube shorts, where I take a lot of stuff that I also put up on TikTok, tiktok.com slash at Jake James Lugo, daily videos related to gaming movies and other stuff i just talked about ahsoka yesterday so i'll probably if i don't do one today i'll probably talk about some other stuff very soon related to games probably starfields maybe some other stuff revolving star wars i'm on twitter or x at jake james lugo follow me on there i'm there every day talking about stuff giving takes hot takes spicy takes but also cool takes that everybody could enjoy at least get something out of you know what i'm saying i'm not, I'm not trying to jab at people all the time on twitter like what everybody does usually but uh, I'm also on Instagram at Jake James Lugo on there. Every once in a while, I upload like a different picture of something I'm playing, what I'm talking about. I'm on also Patreon, patreon.com slash at Jake James Lugo. For a dollar, you get a, literally a ton of exclusive content between podcast episodes, early access to new videos, and a bunch of other things as well. And the same thing also, I'm on a, what is it? I'm on a, what is it? Facebook. Same thing. I have my own Facebook page, which is linked to everything else. But I'm writing for Clownfish TV all the time. Literally, I put up stuff yesterday uh, as far as gaming news. I'm on Dot Esports, which you can find all my features, all my guide stuff, all my news. You can find a whole bunch of stuff on there. So I'm out here putting in some work. So let me know if you guys enjoy it. You know, share some cool stuff and hopefully, you know, I put out more things that you guys will really get a kick out of. Yeah, that's awesome. I have been. I've been thoroughly enjoying the movie, the movie reviews, the, the videos. I, I, they just seem, it just seems like it's uh digestible mm. i guess it just you just watch it and it's like this is a great review and it's Thank not you. something that is is it's tough to get into or understand and it's enough for a short or a tiktok or you know something that it's not it's not like you gotta sit down and read through I you won't uh, ign article table, even though you have you won't those. Throw a chair yeah. over the yeah. over my content which you know, you might disagree with me and a lot of stuff you might like not like what i have to say in certain things but at least you walk away with something I completely uh, that that's hap that happened to me. So I agree with that. But um, I'll have everything in the description, cool. so it'll all it'll all be there. And this has been such a packed year. I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but it, it's impossible. Mm. You're not gonna. It, there's just too much this year. But we 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 talked about Star Wars. Yeah. Um, talked about games. So that's really what this podcast is. The Senate podcast. We are a nostalgia retro-based pop culture podcast where we talk about it. So hopefully you got something out of this episode and it, 
again, thank you, Jake James, for coming on. It has been it is it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yes. So with that, that will conclude whatever episode number this is. I know my co-host has some stuff that he's doing that we might put up. I'm gonna cut this up and it'll be out there in in clips and in bits. So if you made it this far, then you are you are you're dedicated. Thank you for thank you for watching, listening. Everything will be in the description. And with that, I would say give us a recommendation, but you kind of give us a lot I, of recommendations. I'll give you guys another so, recommendation if you want, like okay. gaming or, or, or otherwise. Usually, usually we end it with a movie or game recommendation. All right, I'll give a little bit of both. If you want a good game okay. recommendation right now, that I would say, if you haven't already, go play Star Wars Jedi Survivor just because because it's that dope like that. Uh, Perfect. Bad game to stay away from. Don't play Masters of Tarascosi. Whatever you do, you you'll really have a bad day if you decide to do so. Because I just got a, a hard copy of that recently from my collection. Which, by the way, I share my Star Wars game collection on on all the platforms. So I'm getting more in the mail soon. I've been loving yeah. that. Wait until wait until you see that. what I got coming soon. In a couple of days, yeah. I'm actually going to be getting it. So once I finish work stuff where I'm at now, like and when I actually get to show the full collection, everybody, y'all are going to dig it. Especially if you're into Star Wars games. Uh, yeah. Good movie recommendation. Go see Gran Turismo because this is one of the better video game movies out right now that people need to watch. Because I want to see. It I, so I have bad. a review on Clownfish that you could go read. But it's really that good. Like, if you're even if you're not a fan of Gran Turismo, if you've never played any of the games, it literally has everything about the games and more that you could actually really enjoy. And if you're a fan of the games, there's some nods in here to how the games are, the sounds, the presentation, the camera angles. You'll love it. It's so good. It's surprisingly very good. I I had plans to go see it, and plans fell through. So I'm upset, yeah, but I wanted to see along. that movie it's so good. bad. It's really good. <laughs> and, they, and I love racing and then, and then games. Go see so, and afterwards, movies. if you want a double feature. Team at Team Mutant Mayhem. All right. I could give a recommendation, but I don't want to take away from that. That was perfect. Two perfect recommendations. So with that, thank you guys for watching, listening, and we'll see you guys on the next